It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. Hey guys, welcome to Week 10 edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. It's the regular season finale. I'm your host, Jake Tribby, and I've got Chris Wecht here by my side to help us break down every angle of the Week 10 XFL slate. Chris, how are you doing today, and how did your Week 9 go? I'm doing good. Uh, Week 9 was uh, not great, ultimately. I had a lot of the right pieces, just none in the right, all in the right lineup. Um, yeah, Dan Williams dropping a zero. Who else was it? Brian Hill, way really underwhelmed. Uh, I think you, we'll talk about that later because, yeah. as you noted when we were messaging earlier this week, they started playing some interesting formations. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was a little up and down. Lewis Perez, he 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 did good for me in my two lineups. I think I had him in, but all his stacking partners were garbage, so it didn't matter. Yeah, tough one. Yeah, week nine was definitely a tough week. I did okay from an XFL DFS perspective, roughly broke even. I had two teams that finished in the top, near the back end of the top 20 in the $15, which I was okay with. One of those teams had Eli Rogers, which totally killed it. And then yep. another had uh, Lindsay. That team with Lindsay was actually looking okay early on. And then Jacor Pearson's long TD bumped it from like third to 17th or something like that yeah um got got smoked on xfl betting though lost the orlando bet by yes. half a point lost uh my vegas bet by half a point so so that was tough but i did have a great time i was at the defenders game um that was a fantastic environment you know dc really fun city um the rock was giving out free margaritas well it wasn't the rock himself but it was his tequila <laughs> brand uh free margaritas pregame which was pretty cool i also got a free uh terramana tequila hat so it was uh it was a great time. Like a great time. No, yeah, it was it was a really good time. And I mean, the game environment's just just awesome in, in DC. Um, and before we get into this week's games, we wanted to announce that we are going to continue the XFL breakdown into the playoffs. Um, we probably won't be covering USFL to answer that question. Um, maybe, you know, for next week's playoff show, we could talk about it for five or 10 minutes. Uh, but we will be continuing into the playoffs um, for, you know, the two game playoff slate, those showdown slates. Um, and then, of course, the championship showdown slate. So right now we're planning on next Friday at 1130 a.m. Um, for the semifinal XFL breakdown show. Um, but getting into this week's games, slate kicks off Saturday at noon with the Orlando Guardians at the St. Louis Battlehawks. Uh, total here is 48, super high total. Uh, St. Louis favored by nine points. Um, before we get into injuries, Chris, any bets you like here? Um, yeah, the, uh, I mean, so I think we do kind of a macro thing. We just have to discuss so that, you know, we understand how all these games are going to work, what the, so Houston and DC are locked into the playoffs. The Arlington and San Antonio are not locked in. I think Arlington has to lose and San Antonio has to win for them to get in. Yep. Seattle and St. Louis is very interesting. Basically, if both teams win, then it basically becomes a whoever has more points for and points less or allowed, who has less points allowed. Yep. So both Seattle and St. Louis have a lot of incentive to try to score points this week. 
Um, the other ways they get in is if one of them loses and the other one wins. If they both lose, I think Seattle wins or gets I, in. I, I think it's St. Louis. Or is it um, St. Louis? Yeah, okay. because they'd have the better divisional record. Right, right. Yes, yes, that's right. Yeah. So when we're talking, so if some of what we're when we're, we're talking about these the St. Louis and Seattle, Seattle games in particular, they need to score a lot of points to try to make sure that they can clinch a playoff spot if both teams win. So for this game, the over-under does seem very high at 48 points. We're not projecting it to be quite that high right now. Um, I don't know if I'm going to bet the under just because of the I, there is incentive for St. Louis to just keep putting points on the board. Uh, um, yeah, I don't I don't know if I want to take any bets on this one. It, it's a little bit of a tricky one. And Orlando's QB situation is is tough as well. Yeah, that's that's kind of my perspective as well as, you know, I'm a little tempted by the under, but St. Louis is probably going to try their hardest to score as many points as possible. Even if, you know, they're winning in a blowout, they'll probably keep their foot on the gas. And then Orlando, you know, if you told me Quinn Dormady's getting every snap this game, I'd totally pull the trigger on Orlando plus nine or even Orlando money line. Um, but we saw him get benched last week for DeAndre Francois. So I, I just can't really pull the trigger on anything for this game, uh, you know, but if I had to, I'd, I'd probably take the under and Orlando um, injuries here. Not too much to cover. Thankfully, uh, tight end Logan Carter has been ruled out for Orlando, uh, but Cody Latimer is off the injury report and is expected to reclaim his old role this week on the St. Louis side. Mateo Durant is questionable with a concussion. Um, and that's pretty much all we have in terms of injuries. So starting with the Orlando side, I mean, Chris, we already we already mentioned it. Um, you know, this quarterback situation is tough. We've seen some really awesome fantasy outings and, um, you know, just individual plays from Quentin Dormady. You know, when he's on, he looks he looks really good. Um, the problem, though, is like these last few weeks, he's been responsible for what? I mean, seven, eight turnovers. Like, it's just absolutely yeah. brutal when he's um, when he's playing badly. My thing is, though, you know, I do think he starts this game and I think, you know, he most likely gets, uh, you know, he could get all the work if he plays well, um, you know, probably gets at least uh, at least a quarter or two, even if he plays poorly. You know, the benching risk is obviously very real. People are going to be really scared off of him, though. And I'm pretty tempted if you told me we're getting Dormady at three, four, five percent. I mean, sure, there's a chance he scores three DraftKings points and is benched early on, but he could be the highest scoring quarterback of the slate at, you know, three, four, 5%. I kind of like that in tournaments, but obviously don't want to go crazy there given the benching risk. Yeah, I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, I wish he wasn't so expensive. 10,700. Uh, it's going to make him hard. Like he does have to have one of those really good performances, you know, 20 DraftKings points. Um, but it, again, one, two, 3% ownership. Yeah. I'll probably have, you know, a one to three lineups, something like that out of my 20 that I usually make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's pretty reasonable. If you're making probably more than 10 teams, I would, I would highly consider playing Dormity, obviously, you know, single entry cash, anything like that. I mean, yeah. probably, probably too risky there, uh, but for like the main, you know, the main $15, the $1, um, you know, I, I like him in, in some of that larger field stuff. I, I think it's reasonable. The, the other question though, is who do we stack him with? I mean, um, we saw, um, you know, Eli Rogers and Daniel Williams had their route shares cut down pretty drastically last week, which I, I thought was was rather strange. I mean, I don't know. I have a hard time liking anyone here that isn't um, Charleston Rambo or Cody Latimer. Uh, but maybe I could be convinced on one of these wide receivers. Do you have a do you have a strong take? 
Yeah, Javante Payton reached almost 80% of the routes last week. Just don't really understand what Orlando coaching is doing, especially after Eli Rogers' big game. I know they lost, but like it wasn't Rogers' fault for sure. So, yeah, Rambo is probably the favorite. Like He is due to finally catch some of these deep targets. So we keep, I feel like we say it every week, but he's probably the favorite. And then, yeah, Cody Latimer. He's probably, Cody's not going to get popular this week because people don't really want to play Dormady. Um, I think you're best off just keeping it to those two, assuming you're not making tons of Dormady lineups. Yeah, so Peyton's actually on, um, on Arlington. I think that was uh, in... In oh that, yeah, that was yeah. Man, I'm um, at the so name. that that's a that's a note for uh for Arlington. Um, but yeah, no, I mean I'm I'm with you. I think um it's 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 just really tough after Latimer and um and Rambo. Uh, yeah, sorry. Now I'm just thinking about how Javante Payton's probably a pretty good play on the Arlington <laughs> side. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that in a bit, guys. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess like I feel like Eli Rogers. You know, last week was probably uh, they probably departed from their normal offensive rotations and personnel packages because they didn't have Latimer out there. So I think like there is a decent shot that one of Rogers or Dan Williams, you know, returns to closer to a full time wide receiver role because they're going to run their traditional offense this week. Um, I really don't like any of these Orlando guys as one offs. I mean, maybe Rambo or Latimer a little bit. Um, but I think you're really only playing these guys in dormity lineups because Francois is just is just bad. I mean, I don't know if you have another take here, but like he wasn't very good in college. He hasn't looked good in the XFL. I think these guys are pretty much cooked if Francois gets a, a good majority of these quarterback reps. Yeah, I want to say you might. Yeah, not Rogers in one offs. Dan Williams, maybe because of these cheap, like he doesn't have to do a lot. I mean, we do expect Orlando to throw a lot regardless of who's at QB. Um. Yeah, but yeah, probably Rambo and Latimer is is the main ones for sure. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Um, the backfield here is pretty interesting. You look around industry wide, and it looks like Devin Darrington's going to be chalk. And I mean, you know, logically it makes sense. Last week, huge surprise we saw Jamaine Martin uh, declared inactive 90 minutes before kickoff. I was actually visiting the Washington Monument with my girlfriend and my mom when that happened. So I'm like panic swapping Devin Darrington in at the Washington monument. I was probably the first person ever to make XFL late swaps at a major United States monument. Um, but uh, you know, if it, it's tricky because I'm not sure if Martin will be inactive again or not. I mean, last week, Devin Darrington had the second best workload in terms of the percentage of backfield weighted opportunity that he earned of the full season of the entire season. Um so just awesome work for Darrington, who I think is pretty good. PFF's highest graded running back. Um, you know, if Martin were declared inactive again, we could obviously project Darrington for a really awesome role with the only problem being that, you know, of course, this is the least valuable backfield in the XFL. Um, that said, you know, I'm a little worried Martin could be active this week and we could go back to, I mean, Darrington's clearly the lead rusher, but, you know, if we get like a 65-35 split or a 70-30 split here, I mean, it's really tough to like Darrington um, at, you know, maybe 30% ownership. Um, yeah. I'm wondering if you have a take here. Cause I think if Martin's inactive or is, is active, I'll probably come in under on Darrington. If Martin's inactive, I'll probably try to match the field at around 30 or 40%. Yeah. That sounds about right to me. I'm if, if Martin is active, I'm probably just out on Darrington assuming yeah. he's going to be too popular and just, but like, like we expect them to be down. We've seen them not use Darrington when they get down big. 
Um, and if Martin is inactive, even I don't think I'd fully fade Darrington, but I probably still am coming a little under the like if he's 40 percent, I could see myself being 30 yeah. percent, maybe even a little bit lower than that. Yeah, I think I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you can think Darrington is good and, um, you know, we could anticipate him getting 80 percent of backfield usage. But the problem is, like when the backfield pie is worth 12, 13, 14 right. DraftKings points per game, I mean, he could totally dominate usage and only score, you know, eight, nine, 10 DraftKings points. That's kind of tough, um, especially if he's going to be popular. Um, there so is just, not a lot of great running back options on the slate, though. So, mm-hmm. so he doesn't like. I would be surprised if there's a running a, a, a popular running back that scores, you know, twenty this week. Yeah, I mean, outside of Darrington and Jaquez Patrick, like it's it's pretty thin at running back this mm-hmm. week, um, which I think is why so many people are going to end up on Darrington, which I mean makes makes a good amount of sense to me. Um, yeah, I don't. You have anything else on the uh, Orlando side before we move on here? Nope, we can go to St. Louis. Sweet, yeah. So as Chris noted, St. Louis obviously has a, a massive incentive to score points. You know, both these teams win. I believe St. Louis is losing the uh, points for you know points against battle to Seattle by 19 right now. Um, so they and they you know obviously this is the first game. Um, so that that'll make it really easy to adjust on Jamaine Martin news. Of course, um, but also, you know, it makes AJ McCarron a pretty strong play, especially against an Orlando defense that has struggled against every offensive opponent and is giving up, you know, bottom three and pretty much every defensive metric you could come up with in the XFL. It's a great matchup for McCarron. Um, yeah, what are what do you want to do with McCarron this week? Because I, I don't know. I feel like he's going to be. I, I like Danucci more. I feel like McCarron. You know, it's it's a pretty clear top three at quarterback this week, and then it gets really thin with McCarron, Danucci, and McClendon, who we'll talk about a little later. Um, I like McCarron the least of those three, but obviously you're going to want a decent bit of him here um, in this situation. What do you think of McCarron, and, and who are you pairing him with? Yeah, I definitely do want some. I don't. Yeah, you made a good point. I don't know how much. She's probably my third favorite of the ones you mentioned. Yeah, they. I do wonder with how much they struggled last week, if they get Brian Hill more involved again, because we've seen Hill be effective in that offense, but they do need to put up points. Like, like Jake said, 19 points is not a small number to overcome. And then if they win, if they overcome that uh, difference, and then I think if they still lead the points allowed uh, ranking, which they currently do, or they're only down by like six in that one, then it goes to like points for and points allowed for the entire league right now. It's just division, I think. Mm-hmm. So, and I have no idea what that one is. That's a lot. That's a lot to figure out for this. But basically, they need to score a lot. And I stacking wise, I mean, Aitman's going to be very popular. I don't understand oh, yeah. how his price did not come up really at all. Aitman could push for 50%. I mean, he's one of the best plays of the season, led all players in in targets last week, 87% route share. I mean, he, he, you know, he was out there when they first play with the starters. Um, They, they clearly really like him and yeah, he's only 4,800. I mean, it's just ridiculously cheap. So he's one of the best plays of the season, but ownership's going to reflect that. Yeah. And then, but, and then it's really Butler and Shepard Butler. I will probably come in under, he's not going to be super popular, but he's still going to be somewhat owned. Mm-hmm. He's expensive. His work, his workload really is getting cut back with Aitman back. Um, that being said, he can, you know, he is, you know, very athletic. He could take a ball to the house, you know, off a short crossing route or something like that. 
Yep. Uh, but yeah, we just haven't seen him get near that 20% target share. We saw him get in the middle of the season. Shepard though, continues to also be a pretty focal point of the offense. Uh, he's very almost at 20% the past four weeks. He had one week at 19. Uh, everything else has been over though. He's running all the routes. Shepard, I Shepard and eight will probably be my two favorite stacking partners for McCarron. Yeah, I actually, so I actually kind of like Hakeem Butler here just because, I mean, the production as of late hasn't been great since Aitman returned to the lineup. His target share has fallen by about 10%, um, still, you know, hovering a little bit under 20, I think 18 or 19 percent for the target share so obviously not great when you're paying ten thousand seven hundred for a guy at the same time though i mean i think that's going to keep his ownership around 15 percent and um yeah i mean he's got a really good ceiling i mean he's clearly one of the the best talents in the xfl um so you know getting him a lower ownership i think is pretty nice but it's going to be so hard to get away from Aitman in these mccarran stacks i mean like any sort of small field stuff Aitman is like impossible to get off of i was i was playing around with some builds um, for like single entry, small field. And yeah, Aitman's just, I mean, you basically have to lock him in. Um, you know, could be a potential leverage opportunity there though, for like some of the larger field tournaments. Uh, you know, I definitely wouldn't recommend playing 0% Aitman, but you know, you, you play 25, 30%, something like that. And hope he only catches a couple passes and scores six or seven DK points. You're in a pretty good spot. Probably not the route I'm going to go. I, I imagine I'll end up roughly matching the field. He'll probably be on about half my teams. Um, but yeah, and I, I think Darius Shepard is fine too. Prol feels kind of dead in the water right now with Aitman reemerging, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, he's he's still kind of overpriced at fifty six hundred. Um, running back though, I mean, this is like a really interesting discussion because you know Brian Hill week eight had one of the best workloads of any running back in the XFL all season, and then week nine we see him post a thirty percent snap share and only five carries. And it wasn't like he got hurt. You know, I rewatched the game. There was no sign of an injury there. He's not on the injury report this week. And it wasn't like they were playing Kareem Walker over him. Kareem Walker, only 10% snap share. So a running back was only on the field for 40% of St. Louis's offensive snaps. Um, This was a huge departure from their normal offensive tendencies. We saw a lot of, um, you know, four wide receiver, one tight end packages that had Gary Jennings playing this de facto running back role where it was mostly like empty sets. And then occasionally they would, Motion Jennings into the backfield. They gave him a couple handoffs. Uh, Steven Mitchell also kind of rotated into that role. I have no idea if St. Louis just said, like, we're done with our running backs and we're running this four wide receiver, one tight end package with Gary Jennings as like our, our hybrid running back on half our offensive plays from now on. Or if that was just a, ra- a weird departure for their matchup against Seattle and they intend to go back to previous usage i mean it's it's the kind of thing where like if this is the new offense brian hill's totally dead like you can't play him at ten thousand three hundred. but if they go back to their week eight tendencies brian hill is probably one of the best plays of the slate at like 10 or 15 percent ownership uh i don't know what to do here i'm probably going to play a little bit of brian hill you know i i don't think i want to fade him completely in case they do return to that that uh that old usage but I, I don't think I can live with him on more than like 15% of my teams, given the fact that, you know, he might only get 30, 40% of snaps here. Chris, I mean, do you have a take? I, I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. <laughs> so bizarre. Like we, we've wanted to attack Seattle on the ground too. Their past defense has been one of the better units in the, in the league. And then, yeah, I just, I just don't get it. I, I can't imagine after only putting up 12 points in probably their most important game of the season so far, 
that they just say, you know, yeah, this is this is our new identity. I I don't I don't know why they decide to switch it. I'm definitely going to have some Brian Hill just to get you know, hope that they go back to it and we see that massive workload that he's had before. That being yeah. said, we do expect them to pass more, but Hill's also going to still be on the field, so I don't think it's we that think. big of a deal. Well, yeah. That's a good point. I don't know. I don't know what to, I'll probably have 15% sounds good, maybe even a little bit more. Like I said, I don't think running back's going to be super high scoring this week. So I, yeah. I don't know if you can really hurt yourself. Obviously, if he scores five points and you spent 10000 of your salary on him, then, yeah, you're probably not winning. But I think there's some good leverage opportunity there. Yeah, I'm I'm with Chris. I mean, I do think there's some good leverage opportunity there. Um, good comment here. Uh, Hill had some key fumbles in games prior. Uh, could be part of the decline. Um, I think that's definitely possible. I mean, the only thing that makes me iffy on that is that, you know, they, they were pretty willing to play Hill after his, his bad fumbles. And, you know, Andy Becht and a lot of these other coaches have, have referenced Hill as like the heart and soul of this team. You know, when we, when we need five yards, we need this, we need that. We give the ball to Brian Hill. I still think the coaches really like Hill. And I, I lean towards last week being very abnormal simply because of the matchup. And, you know, obviously it doesn't make a ton of sense given they didn't put up any points running this new personnel package. Um, I think, yeah, like given that they weren't very successful last week, decent chance like probably more likely than not that Hill reclaims his old role but I mean man it is a really tough spot I could see just a like a huge range here um so yeah if you're playing Brian Hill um you know obviously our projection for Brian Hill is is pretty okay right now um you know we have him pretty close to his old workload uh but just be aware that his floor is as low as pretty much any running back in the XFL right now it's a super dicey situation um chris any more notes on st louis before we move on here uh the only other thing i'll say is i'm i'm probably double stacking mccarran this week because of the expected bump in passing and scoring i think and and mccarran potentially being popular like if i if i hit on mccarran i want to hit on some of the two of his receiving options as well yeah andy i mean it's really easy to double stack this week because you just can Mm -hmm. you can work in eightman on like every team exactly Um, you know you can get a super unique build if you go like mccarran butler and shepherd but then you have no salary left um i can't imagine that'll be very popular maybe i do that on like one team uh but yeah you just work uh uh eightman into like every team and then you know you have plenty of salary to get up to either butler or or shepherd there so i I definitely like that i think i'm gonna mostly double stack mccarran this week especially with how popular he's gonna be in the expected pass rate bump makes a lot of sense yep um all right our second game on saturday this is a saturday 3 p.m kickoff we've got the dc defenders at the san antonio brahmas total here is 42 dc favored by three um initially i looked at this and i thought like oh dc minus three this is this Mm -hmm. is free money and then i was like wait a second they might rest their starters here. And I think that's pretty clearly reflected in the line. Obviously must win situation for San Antonio. I don't really like anything here. Chris, do you have any, any bets that stand out? Uh, The under is interesting because like DC could literally just run the ball every single play potentially if they want and, and just maybe not be as efficient on the ground as we've seen them be. Uh, But yeah, I'm not betting the spread just because of the so up in the air and with their starters. Yeah, we so I watched Reggie Barlow's post game press conference. We really don't know, just no indication. I, I don't even think anyone asked, um, you know, in terms of what they're going to do with their starters this upcoming week. So that makes things tricky. 
Um, we do have some interesting injury news here on the DC side of things. Uh, cornerback Michael Joseph has been ruled out. Uh, I think this is mostly precautionary so that he's ready for the playoffs, but this is a pretty big loss. He's one of the best cornerbacks in the XFL. Um, so this DC pass defense might be a little weaker, which is a big deal because they are the worst pass defense by, you know, yards allowed per game in the XFL. So losing Michael Joseph makes them, you know, presumably even worse. Um, and then, a very shocking news last night. Uh, Raquel Armstead and Jaquez Azard have been cut. Uh, Puka Williams is expected to fill backup running back duties, but he has three backfield snaps and one carry all season. So really hard to know what to do with that. And that sort of leads us nicely into the DC side of things. Like I said, I mean, we don't know what they're going to do with their starters here. We could see Jordan Tayamu and Derek King do their normal rotation at quarterback. I would be pretty surprised if that happens. I mean, DC has, you know, they have a home playoff game secured in the semifinals. They have no reason to play their key players, especially with Tayamu, you know, playing really well as of late. I think we probably see Derek King for at least a half here. Um, Chris, is that enough for you to potentially be tempted <laughs> into a Derek King lineup in some of these large field tournaments? Cause I, I think, you know, where I fall on this. Maybe one. Maybe okay. there we go. That's that's what I was hoping for. I think that's the first time all year you've yes yeah, on, on my. It's dear not a bad. Team. It's not a bad idea. No, yeah, I mean, so like that's the thing. If Tayamu gets you know one quarter and King gets three, he he could get there. If King plays the full game, I mean, he's pretty easily the best quarterback play of the slate. Problem is, we have you know we have no idea if that's going to happen. I would anticipate like my best guess is Tayamu starts plays somewhere close to a quarter at most, probably a half. And King gets the rest. Uh, but yeah, there is a chance there that that King just straight up starts and and plays every snap, in which case, um, you know, he's awesome. He's played roughly two full games, uh, you know, 126 total snaps, and he's averaging 24.4 DraftKings points per four quarters. So, you know, really strong fantasy value if he can, um, you know, actually get enough playing time, but it's, it's super high risk. Nice thing, though, is, I mean, you'll get him at one or 2% ownership on the four game slate. So, you know, I'll probably make 30, 35 teams for the the main $15 tournament. I'll probably have Derek King on two or three. Um, at the same time though, I mean, obviously got to be ready for a, for a rock bottom floor performance yes. in case Tayamu plays a bunch. Um, and yeah, I mean, just like the unknowns with these DC rotations make it really hard to project DC and also figure out, you know, how should we play DC in our fantasy lineups? One thing that I was thinking about is, you know, if you're playing a lineup with the Air King, obviously it makes sense. You, you probably want to get off these starting wide receivers. Mm -hmm. I wrote up Brandon Smith this week. He's only 3,500. Uh, serving as their de facto wide receiver four right now, running about 40% of routes every week. You know, I think uh, two catches and three straight games. So there's a decent floor if DC does decide to kind of go off the wall and, and play their starters there. Um, but if they, you know, we imagine they probably rest Lucky Jackson in some capacity. They probably rest Chris Blair, Josh Hammond, at least a little bit. That really opens up the door for a full-time role for a guy like Brandon Smith. Um, I think I'm probably going to mostly play Derek King naked, but I, I really don't mind, you know, Derek King plus Brandon Smith. Plus that doesn't take up a ton of salary. If they connect for like one touchdown, I mean, you're in a really good spot. Uh, Chris, like, what do we do with these DC wide receivers? Um, and yeah, if you're, if you're going to make a Derek King team, like, how do you think it makes sense to stack them up? Uh, yeah, I don't think you play the starters. I just, 
Yeah. It's so where, you know, low pass volume offense. They don't have anything to play for. They could rest. There's just no reason to do it, really. Brandon Smith is interesting. I'd be fine playing him as a one-off, whether I have King in a lineup or not, just because yeah. of how cheap he is. They, you know, they cut Azard. They don't have a lot of wide receivers. Like they got to put somebody out there on the field. Um, so yeah, Brandon Smith's interesting pretty much regardless. I am indifferent if you feel the need to stack him with King or not. I don't think you have to stack King. I don't yeah. think you, you know, I don't think you have to do one thing or the other. Maybe Alex Ellis as the other, another tight end, the 2,500 could get a good playing time bun. They're, they're t- they kind of rotate the tight ends. It's hard to know who they view as like the important starter, but if I had to, if I had to guess on one, he's the backup in my eyes, but okay. I don't know for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it is just really tough. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, they, I, you know, from my count, they only have uh, five active wide receivers for this weekend. So, I mean, if you assume Lucky Jackson rests and then maybe, you know, Blair Hammond gets some rest as well. I mean, Brandon Smith pretty much locked into a full-time role. Uh, Jazz Ferguson also could push for, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 40 or 50% of routes. I think that could be a little interesting. I, I actually really like Brandon Smith as a one-off play. I, I don't think there will be much ownership there at all. I mean, it's hard to project them well. I feel like we're pretty aggressive on DC resting their starters right now in our projections. And he still doesn't look, you know, he still doesn't really pop for us. Um, so he's not going to be super highly owned, but I, I do think he's a pretty sharp one-off there. Um, running back is also like really, really tough because I mean, at first I was like, Oh, Raquel Armstead is going to be, you know, one of the best plays of the slate. I really like him. He was priced up to 6,700, but you know, we were still hoping he'd get like two thirds of the work. Obviously now not cut, not on the roster. Um, I, it seems like just so unlikely, you know, the last time Raquel Armstead was inactive, Oh, I think week five, Abram Smith, you know, had like a 97% snap share and handled 100% of backfield weighted opportunity. I can't see that happening again this week in a meaningless game ahead of the playoffs. I mean, I'd imagine these coaches regard Abram Smith as one of their most important players. Uh, He's been playing pretty well this year. That leaves Puka Williams as like a backup running back at 3,900, who I'm a little tempted by in tournaments, but he also hasn't played all year. I mean, one, one carry all season for negative two yards. I I really don't know what to do here. I, I kind of regard Abram Smith as almost unplayable. I mean, I'd much rather take my chances on Brian Hill. At the same time, though, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised if Abram Smith got a big workload here. I uh, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just kind of at a loss. Like, I, it's a tough one. I think... I think it's in a void. I think of it this way. Like if, if Abram Smith gets hurt in this game and they just cut Raquel Armstead, like, do they, they basically kill their team. I mean, they, they need, (laughs) they need a potent running attack in this team. It can't, they don't want to have to rely on Tayamu to do everything. Mm -hmm. I just, I just don't, I don't know who they're going to play. I guess it's Puka Williams, but I I don't see how you give Abram Smith a significant workload to pay off his $10,000 salary in this game. Yeah, it is. It is really tough. I mean, we saw that week Armstead was inactive. They had Raymond Calais on the roster, who's now mm-hmm. in the USFL. Uh, Calais played like one snap, I think. And then they were also working in uh, quarterback three, Eric Dungy, apparently during uh, running back positional drills pregame. Um, they have a new Dungy's on IR. They have a new uh, QB three who I think isn't even in the player pool. I mean, they, they love these athletic quarterbacks. Maybe they just want Derek King to be, to run, yeah. yeah, to be the backup running back if something happens to Abram Smith. But he it's, also like is kind of important, so I I don't know how 
See, that's that's the thing is like, you know, these these rosters are, I think, you know, three or four spots smaller than um, NFL rosters yeah. on, on game day. So, you know, super thin, not a ton of depth. And, you know, D.C. for being as run heavy as they are, they really don't have much running back depth at, at all, uh, especially now with Armstead gone. So this is really tough. But I, I do like Puka Williams yes. in tournaments. Um, really hard to justify it in any sort of smaller field stuff. But in in like the larger field tournaments, I think. Puka Williams makes a lot of sense as a, as a salary saving option at, at 3,900. Um, at the same time though, I mean, nothing DC does this week. I, I would really surprise me. So um, it's, it's tough. I, I do think so, a combo that I thought about being interesting and there's probably, you know, some negative correlation there, but, but maybe not given the circumstances doing like Derek King plus Puka Williams plus Brandon Smith. And then you just hope the backups get like all the run. Mm-hmm. Um, not like a, you can have a whole offense for almost just like $3,000 more than what Ben DiNucci cost alone. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, so like the salary savings there are, are, are pretty good. And, you know, there is a chance that those guys get, you know, a ton of runs. So, you know, not my favorite combo this week, but I'll, I'll probably try it out at least a lineup or two that has something like that. Just like the DC DC does really well and plays their backups the whole game. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a really dicey situation. Uh, my general philosophy though, in spots like this is I do, prefer to get aggressive. Like I'd much rather um, have shares of guys like, you know, King, Puka Williams, Brandon Smith. If somehow the starters do play all game, I mean, you know, that sucks. You get cooked, but um, you get a huge, you know, leverage ownership advantage um, mm-hmm. if you're actually right here. Cause people are just going to be really scared off of these spots. You know, I think ownership is really going to concentrate really heavily on St. Louis and Seattle pretty much across the board, because, you know, those are the teams we know have, clear incentive to, to try to win. Um, so I do like getting aggressive in some of these iffy playing time spots here. Uh, Chris, any last thoughts before we um, move on to the San Antonio side? Nope. We can move on. Sweet. All right. Uh, San Antonio side of things. I mean, mm. they are still alive for the playoffs, but I mean, man, this team, at least offensively is pretty gross. Jack Cohn not playing well, but we know he's going to get all the run here. Um He's a guy that I just don't think is going to make my four-game slate um, player pool. Uh, Chris, do you have any interest in playing Jack Cohn? I mean, I imagine ownership will be rock bottom because people have pretty much given up on this guy. He was not bad last week. Yeah. Um, He's had, like, some decent games. Yeah, I mean, he what did he, 10 10 yards per attempt last week, 7.3 over the past two weeks. DC is not great against the pass to begin with, and we don't expect them to play their starters, really. You could play worse quarterbacks, I think, at low ownership. Um, I don't think I'd go crazy with it because, you know, you could play him in one or two lineups and have leverage over the field. Um, But I think he's a little interesting. The stacking partners aren't super interesting. Uh, Fred Brown is losing playing time to Nick Holly. Nick Holly's probably the most interesting because given his salary and he's continues to see a little bit higher bump in playing time. Landon acres is still interesting, but he's a lot more expensive. Patrick is getting tons of passing looks. You could even throw him in the lineup and it wouldn't, it wouldn't hurt. I don't, I don't hate doing a, you know, a a cone Patrick Holly team where Seattle San, San Antonio puts up points and you could throw Brandon Smith in it or something. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's viable. I mean, like I said, I don't think I'm going to get to Cone, but some of these one-offs are pretty interesting here. I mean, I 
I like Acres. I I like Holly. I do think. I mean, I know that it more directly ate into Fred Brown's workload last week. I do think they view Holly. I mean, he's listed as Acres backup on the depth chart. I think they view Holly as more of a slot. So if he gets more work this week, I think that that probably hurts a guy like Acres. Um, yeah, so that, you know, that's kind of the tricky part there. At the same time, you know, Holly only 3,900. I, you know, I do think it's viable in tournaments. I wrote up, you know, TJ Vasher for like the sixth week in a row and quick hits and was basically like, look, I mean, the underlying metrics are still good. You know, the air yards are there. He probably gets a couple red zone targets, but he also probably stinks. Um, so I, I don't, I don't hate Vasher. I definitely prefer him to Fred Brown. Um, but yeah, all these wide receivers are just kind of like, uh, they're viable, but I have a, you know, it's a, it's a tough click. I'll probably leave them in my player pool, but I'm not going to play more than 8% or something like that on any of these guys. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, looking at it a little closer, I I don't know. Like I'd be fine if I did really want to play cone, just putting Patrick in the lineup even, and mm -hmm. just because of, they just spread the ball around a lot. We're not super confident in any of these guys. Yeah, I, I actually I do kind of like that. Like, I think you you gain such an ownership advantage by just playing cone that you probably don't even have to worry about stacking him. Mm -hmm. um, you're just hoping that he yeah, he throws a couple touchdowns, gets you to like 20 DK points. And then right. you know, some of these other quarterbacks fail. Um, you know, you get that at three, four percent ownership. I, I think that's pretty nice. Um, yeah. And you, I mean, you know, the pairing with Patrick probably is pretty solid correlation, given how. Um, you know, just impressive. The target share that this backfield is, is earning has been last week, 32 weighted opportunity points for the backfield. That was the best usage of any backfield in any game this season. I mean, the floor for both these running backs, Patrick and Hilleman is just so high um, because of this, this target work. Uh, you know, obviously Patrick is, you know, probably going to be 45% owned should be Right there is the most popular running back of the slate. I, I don't think we have to spend a ton of time on him. I mean, his his workload's really good, and he's you know he's a strong play, a really strong projected value. Um, but uh, Hilleman at I believe he's thirty one hundred. I think is the guy who's a little more interesting. Uh, thirty two hundred. Um, he projects as a pretty strong value and seems like a you know close to a lock to get you like five or sixty k points. I mean, the ceiling obviously isn't great, but. Uh, any interest in Hilleman for this week? Yeah, I think I'm talking myself into Cone Hilleman stacks. Oh, <laughs> so I mean, 17% target share three weeks ago, 11% two weeks ago, 20% this past week. Yeah, he's he's gonna catch. He's gonna get four or five targets, and he's gonna catch, you know, three to four of them, or if not all of them, because you know they're not gonna be deep. So that's. Yeah like just the receptions alone, he's already almost at double his, his salary. And then whatever yardage and carries you get on top of that is, it's pretty intriguing. Um, I think you could play Patrick and Hilleman in the same lineup. Uh, I don't know if I would do that with a cone stack that, that seems a little aggressive, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do think you want some exposure to not just Patrick. You definitely want some Hilleman this week. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm with you. I do think Patrick and Hillman in the same lineup is is definitely interesting. I wouldn't I wouldn't do that with Cone, but I mean, man, I I think it's viable. Like if 
this backfield sees anywhere close to the 32 weighted opportunity points they had last week. I mean, both those guys are, are going to end up being pretty solid values. Um, only thing with Hilleman is, you know, TD equity isn't nearly as good as, yeah. as Patrick. They certainly prefer Patrick at the goal line and in the red zone, but we've seen, you know, we've seen a little bit of red zone work for Hilleman. So he's not totally dust in that regard. Um, Chris, anything more on San Antonio? Nope, we can move on. All right. First game of the day on Sunday. This is a Sunday 3 p.m. kickoff. It's the Houston Roughnecks at the Arlington Renegades. Total here is 42. Um, depends where you look, but this game is listed as a pick on some of the sharpest books. Some other books have Arlington favored by a point or Houston favored by a point. Um, either way, the spread's very close. Chris, if we assume the game's a pick uh, do you have any betting leans here? I think I like the Arlington side, which Ooh. is crazy how far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what Houston's going to do. I don't know. Like, the, if I was their coach, I would kind of say, you know, we got to work out some of these kinks that we're having and play Silvers a decent amount or McDonald for that matter. I mean, yeah. But even, even then, like, I, they're just both been so bad when they've had time to play these past few weeks that I don't. I don't know what you, they can't risk losing like Burnett or, or, or bird or Harris or, or Justin Smith for the playoff run. I don't, I don't know what they're going to do. I'm not expecting a lot of points in this one. Yeah. This feels like a really gross game. I mean, the Arlington side's pretty clean, but Houston it's, it's tough for what it's worth for what it's worth. Wade Phillips did say um, if it's the last game of the year and we have everything wrapped up, we will want to play our starter some, but we don't want to take a chance on getting our top players injured. Right. That was in last week's post-game press conference. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's easy to think like, oh, Deontay Burnett and Max Borgie and maybe a few of these other wide receivers get a little more rest than usual. For quarterback, though, it's really hard to know how to interpret something like that, considering Silvers hasn't played well and Cole McDonald mm -hmm. hasn't look great when he was, you know, given serious reps. Um, I really don't like any bets in this game. I think this is a pretty clear, you know, just, just lay off. Um, injury side of things. Uh, Dejon Lee was limited on Wednesday and Thursday with a shoulder in, uh, issue. He looks pretty questionable for this week, obviously inactive uh, the previous week. Michael Bandy, who was a surprise inactive last week, hasn't practiced this week due to a hip issue, probably misses his second game in a row. On the Arlington side of things, Davion Smith hasn't practiced this week due to an ankle injury. I do think he plays. I mean, he toughed out the ankle injury uh, near the end of last week, but he's clearly very questionable. Um, Letty Brown, you know, if Davion Smith plays, Letty Brown is an awesome play. Uh, Victor Bolden also hasn't practiced this week due to a shoulder injury. I don't think he plays. Um, yeah, starting with the Houston side of things, uh, quarterback here is just really, really tough. Like we said, I mean, I think this is a clear, you know, just totally faded spot. You could argue maybe for playing Cole McDonald if you think the team, you know, still clearly views Brandon Silvers as like their starter. And if this guy gets hurt, like we're totally screwed. Um, in that case, Cole McDonald probably gets at least three quarters in this game. I don't love it, but I mean, you know, McDonald definitely has fantasy juice as a starting quarterback, if only because he's so willing to run the ball. Uh, Chris, do you have any take on this quarterback situation? Yeah, I'm I'm off it. I'm going to let, you know, if somebody wants to play McDonald, I'm going to bet on them not being perfect and the rest of their lineup to be able to beat me. He's going to yeah. be maybe 1% owned. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's super thin. It, he wasn't good. He won. He started. I like, I'd rather get up to cone for 900 more. 
something. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I don't think you play the QBs in this game. Yeah, it's um, it's a brutal spot. And I mean, given the safety that you can find at quarterback in some other places, and I mean, like the leverage opportunities that we have with guys like Derek King or even Quentin Dormady, um, or even, you know, like Jack Cohn. Or Lewis uh, Perez even, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Perez, I, I think, will you know, might be like 10%. But still, I mean, it's like, why, like, why bother taking on this unnecessary risk by playing? Right. I mean, Silvers, I think, is totally unplayable. McDonald, you could maybe argue for, but still pretty pretty gross there um wide receiver i actually have like a somewhat strong take here i think to me it's pretty clear like deontay burnett is the guy leading the way in this offense i mean clearly the most talented receiver um who's left i think he like doesn't get more than a quarter maybe a half um and they have pretty rigid roles for these wide receivers where we see you know justin smith and burnett pretty much only play on the outside and their direct backup is is Tavon salter Salter only has five routes all season, um, but he's, I think the minimum price. Yeah, he's 3000. Um, so, you know, if Burnett sits out half the game or more and you tell me Salter gets, you know, 60, 70% route share, Tavon Salter is actually like a really good play. I think obviously there's some risk baked in because we don't totally know what Houston is doing with their starters. Um, but yeah, Chris, how are you view- viewing these Houston wide receivers and who do you think is most likely to sit this week? Yeah, Burnett and Smith for sure. I don't think play a ton. I don't think you you think Smith sits because I mean, like my thing is like they need two outside receivers, right? So that's that's the only part where it gets a little dicey for me is I think Smith probably plays, but it's tough. Yeah, he might play, but he they they the coaches really like him. I mean, that's, right? Yeah, that's true. That's the thing. Yeah, and if so, in the, even if. Like I'd rather okay, so he plays. I even if he plays the full game, I don't think I like Smith. Like I'd yeah. rather take my shot on some of these other cheaper guys. For sure, Harris and Bird. You know they probably one of one of them definitely doesn't really play. I don't. I don't really know which one they value more. I think my guess Harris. is Harris. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's Harris. I mean, Harris has looked better, like just from the eye test. Plus, he had a what like a ninety-seven percent route share last week. Bird was down to fifty-seven percent. Yeah. Um, yeah, just yeah. I mean, just looking at route share, I mean, I do think they prefer Harris a little more there. Um, so that opens the door for a guy like Ben Putman, right? Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, I want to say you should take shots with some of these cheap guys, but we I still just project this passing offense to not be great. So I don't know what you win even when you hit. Yeah. Um, it's really going to come down to do I need the bear, you know, the stone min price to be able to fit other pieces in, in a lineup. I'm not going to force these guys in, but if they make something else fit, then I'm fine with it. Yeah. I mean, I'd consider like Brandon Smith much more preferable of a play to a guy right. like Ben Putman or Tavon Salter. At the same time, though, I mean, I don't think Putman and Salter are bad plays by any means, but I do think you make a good point. I mean, if we assume like they rest a lot of guys, maybe McDonald plays a lot. I mean, this passing offense doesn't have a ton of juice, but, you know, Putman and Salter are the minimum price. So you only need, you know, seven, eight, nine DraftKings points for these guys to, um, you know, potentially win you a tournament. Uh, Another interesting note was that Garrett Owens actually, you know, he really hadn't played all year um, up to this point, played a good amount last week, um, 32% route share by far his highest of the season. I'm not sure if we're going to see him more involved. He's like a running back tight end hybrid. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, probably only in play for showdown. Like I'm not, I'm definitely not touching him on the four game slate, even the two game slate. It's probably too thin. I'm guessing Uh, they kind of view him as a somewhat starter and I would expect, but they also don't really have somebody else that could play the role. So yeah, he's a guy where like, if he got hurt, like they would have to like, just X out some plays from their playbook. Cause you know, he is their only like tight end basically. Um, Yeah. So definitely, definitely like a tough, a tough spot for sure. I mean, I think the only two receivers I'm like comfortable with are, are Putman and and Salter here. Um, Maybe, I mean, if Bandy was active, which again, I don't think he will be, I would actually probably like Bandy a lot, but I'm, I, yeah, I don't, eh. it's really tough. Like if he is active at this point, given he hasn't practiced, like I I would definitely prefer Putman um, for the slot snaps. Yeah. I'm not sure. Any, any, any take there? Nah, yeah. I don't know. I don't, my my advice is just don't force these guys into a lineup just if, but if they make another lineup fit because they're so cheap, then I'm totally fine with taking your shot on any of them. Yeah. And the nice thing with like Putman and Salter is if you make 20 teams, I mean, you only, you'd only need to throw those guys on one or two to have like pretty serious leverage that no one's going to want to touch them. I mean, it's just a very uncertain situation. Um, Running back here, I actually do feel like there's a decent bit of surgery. Obviously, Dejon Lee's status is pretty crucial to how we project this backfield. At the same time, though, I mean, I think the team very clearly views Max Borgie as one of their key offensive players. I mean, he doesn't play a ton, you know, right around a 50-55% snap share most weeks. But when he's on the field, I mean, he gets the ball a lot. Like, his route share is crazy low, but his targets per route run is is crazy high. So I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's pretty clear how the offense views Borgie, and, you know, they think pretty highly of him, which opens the door for a guy like Bryson Aline at 4,200 to potentially, you know, act as, like, the starting running back, almost bell cow maybe, um, for, like, three quarters or something like that. It's tricky, though, if Dejon Lee's active – I like Aline a lot less. I think there's a real chance him and Lee could split backfield work here. Um, yeah, Chris, what's your take? Because for me, I mean, if Lee's if Lee's out, I actually really like Aline. I think he's a great play. Yeah, I would agree with that. It is tough with this being the third game. Like yeah. you, you don't have a lot of options to go to. It, it probably works best in the flex spot because you could pivot to one of these Houston wide receivers. Or maybe whatever happens with Letty Brown and Devion Smith, maybe you can pivot to Letty Brown. Um, yeah, it, you just got to be conscious of of your swap options if you are playing a lot of Aline, that making sure that you know what you can swap to because there's not there's I don't think there's going to be anything you could swap to in Vegas, Seattle at running back. Um, you could do stuff at flex, so maybe maybe that's the key is don't leave Aline in your RB spot a ton. Because it, it is going to be tough to swap off him if if we think we need to. Yeah, I think you're going to want to play a lean in a lot of two running back lineups and mm-hmm. force him into the flex. I mean, you could. I, another thing you could do is just always leave 700 on the table in all your lean lineups, and then if Davion Smith is is ruled out, like you have a really easy pivot to Letty Brown. Or worst case, you know, Davion Smith plays, Dejon Lee plays. You can just rotate some Letty Brown in there so that you don't have like a ton of a lean right. exposure in case his usage isn't great. Um, so you do have some options there, but I would just like be hyper aware when you're making lineups that you're going to want some flexibility because if Dejon Lee is is active, I mean, I think it's like best case, maybe a 65-35 split in favor of a lean, but realistically, it's probably 50-50 or close to it. Yeah. Um, 
I, and not, I do, a, not a lot of points scored. So that's yeah. Good. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's the other tricky part is like, if, if Houston plays a lot of their backups, like I'm not anticipating a, a really great offensive outing here. Um, yeah. Anything you have on Houston before we move on to Arlington? Nope, we can go to Arlington. All righty. So Arlington, you know, very clear incentive to win here. Uh, I believe it's a win and in spot for Arlington. Um, Luis Perez, you know, very clearly the quarterback, one of the handful of guys who we know is going to play every single snap this week. I don't think he'll be super popular. I mean, 20, I believe it's 21 DraftKings points last week was a, a pretty solid outing for him. Granted, that was in a much better matchup against the D.C. pass defense. Houston pass defense significantly stronger um, at the same time though, I mean, you know, if we get Perez eight, nine, 10%, I, I could get behind it. The only problem is knowing who you're going to stack him with that. I'm still a little iffy on, um, Chris, if you're playing Perez, who do you like to pair him with? I don't have a good answer. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was Arcanado last week. They, they yeah. you know, they said he's been the guy he's trained with in the off season. And then we saw Arcanado's route share dip. So this has just been the story with Arlington all season. We just really yep. don't know. Other than Sal Canella, we don't know who they're who they're going to trot out at receiver. Um, Canella, I guess, is viable. Um, it's a little yeah. expensive. It doesn't feel awesome, but it's you know he's viable. You you can you know he's not going to kill you. Other than that, I don't have a strong take. Peyton, maybe you could try Arcanado again. They're all cheap. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you can mix and match these combos. I think Vaughn's, Arcanado, and Peyton are all in play. Um, Vaughn's would probably be my favorite among those wide receivers. I mean, my favorite overall is just Canella. Mm-hmm. Um, he's clearly got the best the best target floor there and the best you know floor in terms of routes run. Um, I don't know, though. It's, it's, it's tough. Like, I'll, I'll probably only play two or three Perez teams, and I'll probably mostly have Canella. Um, yeah, really tough spot. And I really don't like any of these Arlington players as, as one-offs. Yeah. I don't think you have to stack him either. I think it's similar to Jack Cohn where, yeah. you know, if you really are set on playing Perez, you don't have to force in the stack. Um, I'm probably deciding if I, you know, of these like dart throw QBs, if I want to play Perez or Cohn, I don't, I, I don't want to allocate too many of my lineups to these types of QBs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, don't, don't force anybody in there. Like, Last week, you would have been totally fine if you just played Perez and, and no stacking partner. Yeah, and, like, the thing with Perez and Cone is that, like, you know, their ceiling is probably between 20 and 24 DK right. points. I mean, at that score, like, you're also banking on a lot of these other quarterbacks failing. Mm-hmm. In a lot of in a lot of ways, I'd kind of rather go for these, like, much riskier, higher upside bets like Dormady or even Derek King. Um, I will still have some Perez, though. Like, I, I, I don't think I'm going to fade him. Um, especially just because this is such a big game for Arlington. I mean, they you know can't risk losing this game in any capacity. Yep. Um, backfield here is pretty interesting. I mean, the usage last week was awesome. 29 weighted opportunity points for the backfield. I do think industry-wide that Letty Brown is maybe being a little over-projected. I mean, Davion Smith, like he, he missed about a full quarter due to his ankle injury last week, came back in and actually looked fine. Like he looked healthy, went on the field, but like on the sideline, I mean, you can tell he was, he was hurt pretty bad, had his ankle retaped uh, quite a few times. My source there is myself. I was, I was on the game. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I mean, I don't think I can really get behind Davion Smith. I mean, there's some 
decent leverage there. Like, I mean, every, you know, 600 more and you can get to Jaquez Patrick. So for 8,200, I mean, you can definitely get some leverage on Smith. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get there. Letty Brown at 4,900 is the guy I think everyone's going to be pretty interested in. Um, you know, some decent standalone value if Davion Smith plays. And if, uh, you know, Smith sits, I mean, Letty Brown is probably the best running back play of the week with how much this team, you know, just feeds their running backs. Um, Chris, what's your take here? Yeah, that was going to be my point. It, you probably want to do build some lineups with Letty Brown, even if you don't really like him as a play, because other than Patrick, he probably becomes the best running back play, if not better, because he's cheaper. Yeah. Um, you definitely do want some exposure to Letty Brown just in case Devion Smith is inactive. And even if he's active, it's not, he's not a terrible play. He's, he's not an awesome play though, because of he's probably going to be popular. So that's not awesome. Similar with um, uh, Aline, there's not really a lot of swap options because they're yeah. in that same price range. So you probably just have to roll with it. Um, and I, I don't think it's going to kill you. I, I think he's involved enough you know, but you, you just want to take the chance that you're getting like a smash play potentially. Yeah. yeah I mean, one thing you could do with Letty Brown is, um, you know, definitely prefer him to a lean in your initial builds. And then if Dejon Lee is, is inactive and Davion Smith is active, you can just swap to a lot of a lean and, and leave right. a little bit of salary on the table. I think, I think that's fine. Um, I do think that if Davion Smith is active, Brown probably goes over owned, um, mm-hmm. especially since this yep. is the third game of the slate. Um, man, I, I don't know. I, I kind of hate Davion Smith from like a projected points perspective. I mean, he's not a good value this week at the same time though. I, I, I do like, I'm kind of convincing myself that there is pretty good leverage there. I, I might end up on like 10% Davion Smith. It's just really tricky because the swap options are, um, you know, really bad in that range. Yeah, um, what is, uh, what's like Philip Lindsay, uh, Seven three, I want to say. Yeah, um, that's probably your best option, or whatever man, happens with the Vegas backfield too. But then yeah. you're leaving a lot more. You could you can move around a decent amount. Smith is actually not hard to move around off of. I don't think. Okay. Uh, yeah. Because of Lindsay and whatever Vegas does in their backfield, mm-hmm. um, you and then you can adjust. You know, spend that salary to move up to a Seattle wide receiver or something. Yeah, I think so. On you know, now we've talked about this, I think on like Davion Smith teams, even Letty Brown teams, I would try to prioritize these guys in like your Vegas Seattle game stacks. Mm -hmm. So that way, you know, regardless of what happens with their status, you have a lot of optionality for who you can swap to. Cause if you, I mean, if you load up on guys from these first two games and then you have one spot left and it's Davion Smith and he's inactive, I mean, you're just, you're not looking great. Yeah. Giving up a lot of value there. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, Chris, anything else on Arlington before we move on? Nope. Sweet. All right, guys. Our last game of the regular season. This is a Sunday 7 p.m. kickoff. It's the Vegas Vipers at the Seattle Sea Dragons. Total here is 47. Seattle is favored by eight and a half. Um, Chris, any bets you like here? Um, I think Vegas is being a little bit underrated. But again, this is a spot where Seattle is going to try to lay on the points. But they kind of play that way already. So I don't know if that really changes that to me. So yeah, I, I kind of like the the Vegas with the eight and a half points here. Yeah. So actually, um, I had a bet that I really liked. This was a, a three parter. So I bet um, Seattle to win the championship plus five hundred. I, d- I did all this on Bovada, and then I hedged with um, 
some Vegas uh, plus eight and a half and also some Vegas money line. So if Seattle just loses this game and misses the playoffs, um, you know, I roughly break even. Um, and then, you know, if Seattle wins as expected, then my true odds for betting, you know, Seattle to win the championship are like three to one, three and a half to one, something right. in that range, which would be better. I mean, I think they'd be about two and a half to one if they, you know, secure a playoff spot. So I really like that as sort of like a, an arbitrage between, um, you know, Seattle's playoff chances um, can can grab that on Bovada. They're still hanging plus 500 for Seattle to win the championship. I think pretty much everywhere else has like plus 400 ish. So um, pretty solid odds there on Seattle. Um, but yeah, like straight up, I, I do prefer the Vegas side. Um yeah, I, I think eight and a half is just a little disrespectful. I mean, we've seen the, the offense look pretty good with McClendon back there. And the defense is a little improved, I think. Not a not a total disaster anymore. Um, injuries, we've got a good bit to go through here. On the Vegas side, Martavis Bryant dealing with a neck issue and Rod Smith dealing with an ankle issue. They haven't practiced this week. Um, both guys, I think, probably missed this game. On the Seattle side, Damian Willis has not practiced this week. He's dealing with a hip issue. Real chance he miss, he misses week ten, which would open the door to more playing time for both Jordan VC and Josh Gordon. Um, Chris, starting with the Vegas side here, I really like McClendon. I had him as our top quarterback play of the week. He's our top quarterback value. Granted, you know McCarron and Danucci are kind of close. Um, I think industry wide, McClendon's like roughly tied with McCarron and Danucci as the top quarterback value. Um, Man, I, I really like him. I mean, shown great stuff with his legs, throwing pretty well, at least, you know, well enough to not get benched. Um, yeah, what's your thought on McClendon, and how do you think he stacks up versus, you know, these other two super popular quarterbacks in Danucci and McCarron? Yeah, I definitely like McClendon this week. He's, you know, he's not going to be unowned, but he's going to be, you know, not the most popular QB. McClendon, or not, uh, Danucci and McCarron will be more popular. Hey, I mean, last three games, 7.8 yards per attempt. He's using his legs. I definitely will have a good amount of McClendon this week in a game. They're going to try to play spoiler. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, they're and if Seattle is pushing like they normally do, but even to you know a slightly bigger extent, Vegas is going to have to try to put up points. So, and he's cheaper. You know, under 10,000 for compared to some of these other QBs is is a pretty pretty low value uh, salary QB. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 9,200, I think his salary went down 200 after last week, which was a little, little confusing there. And I mean, these Vegas quarterbacks in full games are averaging about 24 DraftKings points per game. I mean, a lot of reasons to like a guy like McClendon in this spot. And I think, you know, especially if you assume both Danucci and McCarron push for closer to 30% ownership and McClendon's around 20%. I mean, man, that, that makes me like him quite a bit. Um, Wide receiver is a little tricky with Martavis Bryant's status up in the air. I mean, a guy that I wrote up and and obviously really like is is Jeff Bidette. Um, he's not projecting super well, but I'm not necessarily sure if um, you know that's a mistake or not because this passing offense with McClendon 224 passing uh, yards per game. Uh, without McClendon, 232 passing yards per game. So, like, there's really no drop-off there with McClendon at quarterback. Um, and it feels like, you know, industry-wide, and, you know, us too, even a little bit, we're, we're sort of projecting Bedette as not the same guy of weeks past, maybe because McClendon's at quarterback. I'm not necessarily sure that's correct. I mean, we gave him, like, a four... If we gave him a 14-point projection, he'd be pretty clearly one of the top plays of the slate. 
I mean, I bet he clocks in sub 10% for sure, maybe closer to five. Um, yeah, Chris, what, what are your thoughts on Bidette for tournaments and some of these other Vegas guys too? Yeah, I do. I really like Bidette this week. It's hard to, like you said, it's hard to project him into that role that we've seen in the past and, and is high. He's still expensive, 9,900. Yeah. Um, so he's not going to project well, but I think you is a good idea to force him into some lineups because what if he does, what if he does get that old role? Uh, he's definitely the best receiver on the team for sure. And when, yeah, man, like, I mean, he's so explosive too. Like, right. you know, he might only need three or four touches to get a hundred total yards. Right. Yeah. So sub 5%, sub 10%, I'm definitely getting some bidet in my lineups and he's probably the preferred McClendon stacking partner. Mm-hmm. You don't feel awesome about the other guys. Allison is somewhat interesting. Sexton maybe as well as a cheap option. You you could throw Sexton in as a double stack because he's that cheap if if you want. Uh Sweeting, not really interested in. Uh yeah, gotta see what happens with Bryant. But I think Bryant being out definitely is a boost to Bidet and Allison for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think Allison is is definitely interesting. I think on my McClendon teams, I'll probably only have Badet and Allison. And I also think you're you're probably only single stacking McClendon because of how much he can get. Uh, mm-hmm. done with his legs um you know sexton i i certainly think is viable uh man sweeting is really tough because it feels like he has like this outstanding td equity like they love him yeah. in the red zone for some reason and then they just don't want to play him anywhere else he's had some brutal drops this year but he's also looked pretty good with the ball in his hands um he's sort of like that wild card where i feel like if you're making a ton of teams it, it definitely makes some sense to mix him in especially on some mcclendon lineups but i mean his floor is just so so low um, but yeah, Allison and, and Bidette, probably my favorite guys there. Um, if Martavis Bryant plays in this game, would you have any interest there? I mean, his route share has been pretty decent. They, you know, they, they've pretty much settled when they're all healthy on, you know, the Allison Bryant, Bidette rotation being their top three. Um, yeah. Would you have any interest there in some large field tournaments? He'll be like 1% or probably sub 1%. Yeah, I probably would. I wouldn't go crazy with it. He, you know, he he's a clear distant third from Allison yeah, and Bidet in terms sure. of route share. You're you're maxing out at around twelve-ish percent target share on average. Yeah. So you're just hoping for a deep bomb, which is he's not too expensive. I, I you know, if he is active, I pro. It's tough to say. I'll definitely build with him in. I might wait and see, and then try to work him in, depending on what I can do with my where my lineups are at. He's awesome as a. I'm down. I need something crazy to happen. Yeah, and he's. Oh active. yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I'd I'd view like kind of Sinky uh, Sweeting as a similar play too. If, yeah. if Martavis Bryant can't go, I mean Sweeting. Um, yeah, if you're if you're down huge and you've got a McClendon stack and you need to get off like Geronimo Allison, I mean Sinky right. Sweeting's probably your best bet. On the Vegas side of things, um, running back here, very up in the air, obviously, with Rod Smith's status being unknown. Um, if Rod Smith plays, John Lovett goes from, you know, right there with Jaquez Patrick as the top play of the slate to only an okay play, but still viable. Um, but if Smith sits, I mean, Lovett is, I I'd, I think I'd have him ahead of Jaquez Patrick as, as the top play of the slate, just given that his salary is only 5200 we could see a rotation there. I mean, we will see a rotation in some capacity with, with Brian Burt. Um, but Lovett's, I mean, Lovett's like a good player and the team, you know, clearly prefers him to Burt gets, you know, really explosive player um, in the receiving game fourth among all players in yards after the catch by far first among running backs. Um, yeah. Chris, how are, do you want to play John Lovett um, both if Rod Smith plays and also if he sits? Yeah, I'll definitely have Lovett 
whether Smith plays or not, if he, you know, if Smith is out, you get even more of him. He's getting, he gets tons of receiving work pretty much no matter what. He's got a strong yard per carry on the season, 3.8, last three games, 4.4. Seattle's not great against the run. You can stack him with McClendon because of his receiving work if you want. Um, he's different than some of these other backs that we've talked about where you don't have to worry too much about having to swap off of him because he's not going to be popular or I don't know. What do you think is, uh, it's, it's really tough. So right now, uh, industry wide. So we're, we're, I think we're projecting Rod Smith is just out right now. Uh, yeah, rest of the, yeah. Indi- yeah, rest of the industry has Rod Smith in that makes it really difficult to have a good idea of what ownership is going to be. I imagine we get some word on Lovett's status today or sorry on Rod Smith's status today. Um, so if that's the case uh, and, you know, we have clarity by, by Friday evening, I'd imagine Lovett's like 40%. I think running back ownership if Rod Smith sits is probably like Jaquez Patrick, 45 or 50%. Lovett, you know, right around 40 and then Darrington at like 30. And then everyone else is going to be like in the 10, 10 ish range. Maybe Brian Hill pushes for 15. Um, yeah. Cause People aren't going to – if we get similar news that Smith's looking questionable, like the, the way we are with Devion Smith, people are going to prefer the Lovett over to Letty Brown for sure. Yeah, um, yeah, I, definitely. So I don't think he's going to be – assuming we get – we don't hear anything like, oh, Rod Smith's definitely playing. Um, I, I do think you're yeah, right. Lovett will be at least 15%. Could get creep even higher to 30% depending on what the news is. Um. I don't think that changes too much for me. I mean, I guess it makes him a little less awesome, but I, I don't, I'm not, he's not going to get out of control. I know that. And he's cheap enough where, you know, he, there's a lot of ways he can pay off and it isn't as dependent on Smith being active or not as some of these other running backs. Yeah. And the other thing too, is like, I would pretty much give him, I mean, not all of the red zone role, but close to it. Brian Burt doesn't have a red zone touch this year. Um, so yeah. And Rod Smith is, generally the guy they've preferred near the goal line. So I, I do think that goal line role would be more in Lovett's hands um, this week, which would, would certainly be be valuable for him. I mean, I think, um, yeah, best case for his ownership is probably them ruling Rod Smith as officially officially questionable. Um, that would that would open the door up for, for Lovett being a bit lower owned this week. But yeah, I mean, I think I think we both like him, like him quite a bit. Um, and I mean, like the nice thing is if Rod Smith does play and you're like, oh no, I can't, you know, I can't swap off for whatever reason, like love, it's not going to kill you on no. its own. I mean, we've seen like even games with Rod Smith active, love, it can still push for 20 DK points. So you're not total dust. If Rod Smith, uh, plays it with love it priced at 5,200. Um, anything else on Vegas before we get to Seattle? Nope. We can go to Seattle. All right. So, yeah, as you know, we've mentioned previously, I mean, Seattle obviously has a ton of incentive to both win this game and score as many points as possible. Um, you know, the matchup's really strong. This Vegas defense, bottom three in pretty much every metric. Um, ben DiNucci has looked really good these last few weeks. He's, you know, cut down on his turnovers. He's he's running well, throwing really well. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's pretty obvious that, you know, anyone who's playing XFL DFS is going to like DiNucci, going to want some DiNucci in tournaments the real question though is like who are the best guys to stack them with um and you know are these double stacks still viable with a lot of these pass catchers getting priced up i mean we have Jawan green at 6800 now mm-hmm. um double stacks are definitely getting tough to afford chris what, what do you think here 
Yeah, I uh, I think the Danucci projections are getting a little high across the industry. I, like we we already know Seattle pushes the ball pretty much most of the time. I don't yeah. know if it's a massive difference. Like I think I mentioned earlier, uh, I definitely still want some Danucci. I just don't know how much if I'm going to get like over the field or anything. Yeah, I I definitely do want to double stack him, but it is going to be hard. Um, you don't even get if Willis is ruled out. You don't even get like a cheap guy you could throw in to double with him. Uh, yeah, it's probably going to lead to me having a good amount of VZ. I don't hate getting TJ Hammonds in. They do seem to start to, or start to work him in a good bit last week. He he's he's been mostly a pass catching back. Last week he started to get some carries, so I think you can get a little unique with Hammonds in there to to do a double stack. Yeah, it's it's tough. It is. It is really tough. I mean, I think my Danucci double stacks are going to have a ton of Jordan VC if we assume Damian, Damian Willis sits. I actually think VC is a really great play mm-hmm. if Damian Willis sits because VC, I mean, gets the air yards. He gets deep targets. They love him in the end zone and in the red zone. I mean, half of their like red zone offense is just jump balls to Josh Gordon and, and Jordan VC. Um, so I, I like that quite a bit. If Willis sits, I mean, the big issue with VC is that's, you know, there's some games where his route share is closer to 50% and it just makes it hard for him to see value. Um, this week, though, I don't think that'll be an issue if we assume Willis is out. Um, I think I mean, my, among these expensive guys, I, I like both. I mean, Jacor Pearson is fine. Like, I'll definitely mix him in. Um, but I actually really like both Blake Jackson and Josh Gordon. Um, projecting pretty similar industry-wide we give a pretty clear edge to um to jackson here um yeah chris do you have a lean among you know these three you know fairly expensive wide receivers uh yeah jackson i was on last week and i think i'm on him again he he continues to play the most routes of any of the seattle guys he feels like he's the only one that hasn't had like the big blow up game yet yeah i don't know when it's gonna come hopefully this week He's not, you know, he's cheaper than Gordon. He's cheaper than Pearson. He should probably be the most popular Seattle receiver. And I don't think he will be because I think, you know, salary issues and what, like Juwan Green also looks good, but Mm -hmm. he's only 6,800. Pearson just had the blow up game, but he's way more expensive. Jackson's my favorite. I don't mind Josh Gordon. I don't know how much I'm going to prioritize him. He does get a lot of red zone work. Um, He just... He's just not running all of the routes is the problem. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Blake Jackson, 98% route share these last few weeks. And I do think this is an offense where we can be a little more reliant on route share than some of the other offenses because they're so spread out with the ball that, you know, for these receivers, just getting on the field translates to fantasy points. Um, so I'm kind of with you where I think Blake Jackson probably goes under own. My guess is he's going to be like 18% and he should probably be closer to like 30. Um, so I, I like Blake Jackson quite a bit. Um, Really interesting discussion to be had on this backfield, though. I mean, last week I was really banking on, I pretty much only played three running backs last week, ended up with like 40 or 45% Philip Lindsay. I was like, oh, I have gray leverage. He's going to be Morgan Ellison 2.0. I'm going to smash. Instead, Philip Lindsay like barely played. Um, (laughs) um, He only had uh, eight weighted opportunity points, which was 10th among running backs. 27% 27% snap share, which was 13th among running backs and an 11% route share 14th among running backs. Um, and he only got half of backfield weighted opportunity. We saw uh, TJ Hammonds work in quite a bit. I believe set a season high in carries last week. 
And then we also saw running back tight end hybrid Charlie Temo Peo uh, mm-hmm. lead the backfield in snap share. Um, and he got a couple of carries as well. Um, I believe those were like his second and third carries of the season. Philip Lindsay averaging 2.2 yards per carry. That's worse than Darius Bradwell. I think like Lindsay's hope of a bell cow role is pretty much completely cooked. Um, my question for you though, is like, can you still mix them into your four game slate lineups? I mean, we saw TJ Hammond steal like a inside the 10 carry last week. If yeah. I remember correctly that he ran into the end zone. Hammonds actually looks really good as a runner until he takes any contact. And then he just flies <laughs> backwards. <Yeah. laughs> um, but he, I mean, he's shifty six and a half yards per carry for Hammonds. Um, and he's also cheap. Um, yeah, only 3,500. So yeah, Chris, how are you playing this backfield? Is, is Lindsay viable at all? I came into this week thinking I would want a lot of Lindsay, but uh, the more I look at it, I don't think so. I think there's too many better options cheaper than him and for him to pay off his salary and be the most popular of the Seattle guys, probably like I'd rather play Hammonds. I'd yeah. Like 3,500 is so cheap. Uh, we just talked about how difficult it's going to be to double stack Danucci. Uh, like Hammonds is a guy that can really open that up for you. Yeah, for sure. And I, I mean, I, I think if you're playing Lindsay, you're not doing it in a Danucci lineup um, because he's just, you know, he's not running the routes. Like I don't think you're going to see many targets there. Right. Hammonds target floor, you know, isn't great, but it is a little better. Um, and he could, you know, get some more traditional reps at wide receiver, especially if Damian Willis is out. Um, so I, I certainly prefer Hammonds. I think I'm just going to X Philip Lindsay out of my player pool. And if he somehow scores two touchdowns, then I'll, I'll live with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Seattle, we know their pass rate is going to be really high. It might be even higher this week, um, given their, their incentives, um, yeah, Chris, any any final thoughts on this this backfield before we we wrap things up with some playoff handicapping? I think we're good. Yeah, definitely do try to stack Danucci though, double stack him because of he's expensive and going to be the most popular QB. Like you really do need him to be the like best QB by a significant margin and if that happens, he's going to carry at least two guys with him. Yeah, and you know, because of the way salaries shake out, like I just don't think Danucci double stacks will be very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, which is like probably your best leverage edge here because I mean VC, Jawan Green, Josh Gordon, Blake Jackson, Jacor Pearson, none of these guys are gonna be crazy popular, but they're all gonna be on a good amount of rosters. I'd imagine yeah. almost, you know, almost every team that's submitted in the fifteen dollar this week will probably have a Seattle wide receiver. Yep. So um, yeah, double stacking Danucci, even some of these like kind of awkward, super expensive double stacks that are hard to get to is like a really easy way to gain leverage here because optimizers just aren't going to spit that stuff out. Yeah, you can do it. We talked plenty of cheap guys, Brandon Smith, Hammonds, oh, yeah. um, and, and Houston I mean, guys, if you have to the value it yeah. at, at running back in, too. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a lean, you know, yeah, a lot of, a yeah. lot of good value. So you can totally fit in these Danucci double stacks this week and, yeah, I think I think if you're going to play them on, you know, a third of your teams, you probably want to double stack them on on half, maybe more. Um, all right, guys. So wrapping up the show this week, we wanted to talk about some of our best guesses for spreads here for some of these hypothetical playoff matchups, uh, giving a quick summary of current title odds right now. We've got the D.C. Defenders. This is on Bovada at plus 140. Houston Roughnecks plus 250. Uh, Seattle Sea Dragons plus 500, St. Louis Battlehawks plus 550, Arlington plus 1400, 
and the Brahmas are plus 2,500. Uh, Chris, do you have any championship bets you like before we uh, we handicap some of these potential matchups? Yeah, one of one of St. Louis and Seattle is going to be a value. I'm not sure. totally sure which one. Uh, I think I have bets on both from earlier in the season <laughs> at around these odds. Um, yeah, one of the only reason that like Houston has shorter odds than them is because Houston's locked into the playoffs. Yep. If if we knew one of Seattle or St. Louis was also locked into the playoffs, they'd be around plus two hundred something as well. Yeah. Plus 250 would be probably my best guess. Right. There, so. so I would, one of those is definitely a value. Um, I, Houston is pretty much, you, I don't think you can bet on it. Like I'd rather, I think I'd rather bet on Arlington, but I don't really yeah, want to do too. that. The winner is coming from the North, right? That's the division. Yes. Yeah. 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 One of the, the winners coming from DC, St. Louis, Seattle. And I feel pretty confident about that. I can't, I can't believe this XFL South division disrespect. Um, no, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much in alignment with you. I think DC and Houston are accurately priced. I really like Seattle as a bet this week. And then you can safely hedge with uh, some Vegas plus eight and a half and Vegas money line, because, you know, if, mm-hmm. if both teams win, unless St. Louis wins in like a, a huge blowout in the Seattle game is close. Um, Seattle's going to the playoffs. So, um, and I think I like Seattle's chances of winning this week a little bit more than St. Louis. Um, so that, that's probably where I see the value. Also, you know, a little bit of value on Arlington, I think, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Arlington against Houston, we can get into, um, you know, some of these playoff handicapping. Uh, you know, this week, obviously, it's, it's a pick em, but we don't know if Houston's playing their starters. Um, Chris, next week for the playoffs, if we assume Arlington and Houston, you know, this game would be at Houston. Um what would you have that spread at? If Arlington plays well this week, uh, I think it, it could end up being a pick again next week. Um, and if it's not, if it's, you know, Houston minus three, Houston minus three and a half, I'd probably really like the Arlington side of that. Um, we, we just, we this Houston offense is just not good anymore. And yeah. Perez seems to be giving life to the Arlington offense a decent bit. Now, yeah. if Perez comes out and is just terrible, which wouldn't shock me either, then maybe it's maybe my Houston minus three next week makes sense. But yeah, Arlington is is long odds solely just because of um, you know what we think you know Houston being locked in. We think Houston is still good. But yeah, I, I I like next week. It's I wouldn't be shocked if it's a pick'em again if they really do play well again this week. Yeah, I mean I'm definitely a little tempted by Arlington um in in one sense just to hedge my my Houston futures but I mean they looked really good against DC last week I mean I think in their you know semifinal matchup against Houston I'd probably have Houston minus one and a half minus two uh, but that spreads a lot closer than I am personally comfortable with as a, a Houston fan and um you know championship backer if San Antonio wins and Arlington loses though San Antonio will be in the playoffs um, Chris, what do you think the spread would be if it's San Antonio at Houston in round one here? Probably like minus Houston minus four, four and a half, maybe. That yeah, feels I was, about right. I was thinking five or five and a half, somewhere in that range, I, I think is about right. San Antonio is a team that like I just really wouldn't be worried about at all. Um, as a Houston fan, I, I think Houston would pretty safely roll uh, San Antonio. I know Neil Orfield is uh, probably not very happy to, to hear that. Um, but 
yeah, for Houston's sake, I, I'd prefer if if they got to play San Antonio this week. Arlington seems to you know be coming into form. So um, if you're looking for a long shot championship bet, um, assuming you didn't bankrupt yourself on the Orlando Guardians long shot <laughs> bet a few weeks ago, I, I do like Arlington. Could have been. Them. Yeah, I know, right? What could have been if they weren't totally inept uh, coaching wise? They'd and you know Dormady didn't turn the ball over ten times in the last three weeks. They'd be in a pretty good spot. Um, on the North side of things, um, what do you think the spread would be Or you know, most likely matchup Seattle at DC? What do you think the spread should be there? I don't think whether it's Seattle or St. Louis, that the spread would be too different. It feels like it would be DC minus three, maybe two and a half. Yeah. So I, I actually disagree here. I think, I think I'd take, I'd take DC minus three, minus two and a half against St. Louis. I think Seattle would be favored in this game, but not by much. Maybe Seattle minus one. I can um, see that. Yeah. They they need to like look decent again this yeah. week. But I mean, man, they've been playing really well. Um, they're first in uh, PFF team grades. I think they would probably be favored on a neutral site against every team in the XFL right yeah. now. Um, they are probably the best team. Um, That's fair. They see so yeah, the books do seem to really buy into their high pass rate stuff as well. Yeah. So that wouldn't, yeah, that would not shock me if Seattle was slightly favored or it was a smaller spread for DC if it was Seattle. Yeah, Seattle's only major weakness is that offense coordinator June Jones oftentimes only gets plays in with like ten seconds left on the play clock, <laughs> and then Ben DiNucci freaks out. <laughs> that happens. That, that's a lock to happen like twice every I game. I, yeah. I, it's, it's great. I love that they have these guys mic'd up too, because you just hear Ben yelling June, June <laughs> every every play. It's awesome. Um, but all right, Chris, any any final thoughts or uh, we, we wrapped up here? No, uh, thanks for sticking with us through the regular season. Hopefully, you know, hopefully you guys have a good week 10 and final four game slate. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, guys. This has been the week 10 edition of the Fantasy Points XFL Breakdown. Thank you so much for tuning in all regular season. And remember, we're going to be back for the playoffs next week at 1130 a.m. on Friday. Uh, But for this week, hope to see all you guys at the top of the leaderboard. Good luck. Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com. Oh, 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 o